Hello, and whilst this week's Sport Zone on Salford City Radio, I'm Rob Parkson, and we're here talking all things sports in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we have Paul Whiteside from The Devil in the Detail. Looking forward to talk, talking all things sport in Salford, Paul. Yeah, yeah, looking forward to it, Rob. Yeah, we've got quite an action-packed show, haven't we, as usual. Plenty going on in the in the world of sport. And, uh, yeah, defeats for both our local rugby league side, which was a bit disappointing. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll uh, be picking the bones of it all in uh, the next hour. Yeah, so what we'll do, we'll start with the uh, Rugby League and Salford Red Devils, Paul, in the Challenge Cup quarterfinals. They were defeated 1918 Casper Tigers, the winners with a extra time golden point drop goal from ex Salford halfback Gaz O'Brien. Heartbreak for all Salford fans and players who were hoping for a return to Wembley. Yeah, it certainly was. It, it was, um, you know, the, the conditions were pretty poor. For the for the game, and we watched a bit of the Wigan game beforehand, and it was it was chucking it down in Leeds when I got there, and uh, it sort of brightened up a bit as Salford started, but the pitch was pretty pretty boggy, and that, and you you got the feeling it was going to be tough, it was going to be a battle of attrition between the two sets of forwards, and you know credit to Salford though they got the, the first try of the game, Harvey Lovett scoring a good try, and uh, Smith replied for Castle, but Lovett scored another good try just before half time to put Salford back in front, and. Got the feeling there was we was doing okay there, but just a bit of a lapse of concentration just before our time right on the hooter allowed Peter Matauti to score for Cass and send the sides in at twelve apiece. But it was a, like I said a real war of attrition in the first half. Both sets of forwards did really well. Defences were on top. We had an awful lot of defending to do in that first half, but it was a, a real marked improvement. And we sort of went in half time twelve apiece and it was well in the game there. And it, as I said, it was an exciting cup tie, real exciting cup tie, end to end stuff for the for the whole eighty minutes. But twelve apiece at half time. We were looking forward to a good second half then. Yeah, Paul. It, Challenge Cup, you know, it's the one the fans want. They want. I know Salford last year got to the Challenge Cup final, and we were hoping to get back again this year. But unfortunately, Gaz O'Brien with that extra time drop goal, it kind of puts a, a dagger through the Salford fans' hearts and the players as well. They've worked so hard, I thought, in that game as well. Plenty of commitment, plenty of heart, and, that, and that's what you want from a team. You want a team who who wants to play, who wants to you know achieve. And I thought we, we saw plenty of that um, on Saturday. I'm sure Richard Marshall's men will be looking back at that, you know, that defeat. But looking at the performance, Paul, and thinking to yourself, you know what, we could perform very well against Castleford in the cup. Let's just take it forward to the league campaign now because. We've had the last few games where Salford really haven't been at the races, but this week they were, Paul. They, they gave a lot of you know commitment to the cause, and that's what us fans want. And I look forward to the next few games, and hopefully the same kind of commitment going forward. Yeah, well, your next three games are going to be a big test. We've got St. Helens, Wigan, and, and Warrington just in the space of over a week or so. So it's um, it's going to be a tough test that for us. Just going back to the game on Saturday, as you said the, the players gave it gave their all really there, and that. That second half, it was a bit of a defensive clock off that allowed Mac Jane to send uh, Michael Shenton over, but they kept battling and battling. And Lee Mossop came up with a real captain's knock. I think there was about 10 seconds to go when he charged over the line. I think he took about four or five defenders over with him as well. So he showed great determination to score. We kicked the goal, take it to extra time. And it's a lottery in extra time now with a golden point. You know, Kevin Brown. Went for one, you know, on another day that could have sailed over. It was charged down. Castle for good on the other end. And Gareth O'Brien, as we know, is very reliable with with golden points. And I think he dropped a goal a few years ago in a, a, when we got over Castleford at, at Salford, if you remember, like 13-12 at, at, at the AJ Bell. So he's, he's a regular drop goal artist. And 
you know, credit to Castleford. They hung in there as well. They had a couple of players sim bin, didn't they? And I think rightly so. But uh, but they hung in there and, and got the result. But it could have gone either way that game. It was it was a fantastic cup tie, and uh, I think all the games were over the weekend. There was four real real good quarter final ties. So uh, it's just a shame we're not going back to play St. Helens in the sem- uh, Warrington in the semi finals. A repeat of last year that would have been another great game, but wasn't to be. But um, the players should take a lot of credit from that and a lot of heart going back into the league fixtures. Yeah, talking about that Lee Mossop last minute equalising try showed pure commitment to the cause. He's, he's a leader of, of our team and, and, and that pack and it showed in that in that dying moment where he dragged three and four Castleford defenders over the line when that, that's what he's all about and that's why he's been talked about you know playing international level with for England again because that's what you want you want players like that who will perform at the highest level and you know he showed why during his testimonial career he's had, he's had a fantastic testimonial year sorry he's had a fantastic career and, and moments like that you know shows why he's such a great player Paul yeah, he's a leader of that side, isn't he? He's the captain of that team. And we were saying last week about Castleford's pack. You know, they've got a big pack, Castleford. And you know, for us to have any chance in that game on Saturday, we need to we need to have the forwards performing and, and, and taking the game to them, showing that aggression. And I thought they did. I thought Lee Mossop did a, did a tremendous job at the weekend, and uh, so did the rest of the pack. I thought Elijah Taylor was excellent on his, on his comeback. Greg Burke worked his socks off. James Greenwood again making the hard yard, setting up a try. So there's an awful lot of positive performances from the players, you know, to take forward now into the league form. I know the next few league games are going to be tough, but, you know, the, the, the players have got a chance there. I think there's a Hopefully we're going to get a bit of a settled side now. It was good to see Dan Sargison back. I know he came up with a couple of mistakes, but it's good to see him getting that rhythm back now. We need Elijah Taylor back in the team. So I'm hoping there's not going to be wholesale changes now for the St. Helens game coming up and we can, we can get a bit of a rhythm now and start to find our feet in the Super League. Yeah, there's a few refereeing decisions, Paul. A couple of disallowed tries, you know, for Salford. What would you make of that? Obviously, referees can't always get the decisions right. They're only human. But a lot of fans sort of upset that they're not getting the rub of the green, especially in these big games like this. We, we need consistency, I feel. Yeah, I, I, going back to the game, I thought the two Simbinis were bang on. I thought the Simbin and Gareth O'Brien was, was right. It was a professional foul. He took Chris Atkin out. He could have scored there, actually. Um, I thought the Liam Watts one, although it wasn't a head tackle, it was a late shot on Elijah Taylor. And it was a, it was a cheap shot, really. So I thought that was, was right. The Kevin Brown one, difficult to see on the day at the game. There was no replays or anything, so I only saw it in live time, so I couldn't really tell on the day. And it went up as a no-try, I think, that one. So I think our backs were against the wall. I've watched the replay of it today, and it was hard to say, but you couldn't really tell whether the ball had touched the ground. I thought it had, but it looked like there was somebody's arm all underneath it all the time. So that was a bit of a 50-50 one. That could have gone either way. So it's a difficult decision for the video ref. Once the decision's gone up as an old try on the field, he has to come up with evidence to overturn it. And if you've not got that evidence, you can understand why he's, he's given no try. So, yeah, I think they can feel a bit unlucky there on that one. I wouldn't say we've been robbed, but it was... Uh, they're tough calls aren't they sometimes you get them and sometimes you don't so uh, let's hope we get some in the next couple of games now I suppose that's the important thing Paul bouncing back from this defeat because obviously it was probably the best performance I've seen so far this season they pushed Castleford all the way we're just hoping that the players and Richard Marshall don't get too do too downhearted with this defeat and let it inspire them because if they get inspired then they know they can take the likes of Castleford to the to the wire it's only going to be good going forward because they've got the likes of Wigan and Saints and Warrington in the next few weeks if they can go ahead and, and you know beat them possibly in the next couple of weeks it's only going to be good for Richard Marshall and his men 
Definitely, Rob. I think what we've got to take out of that game, we know this side's got a lot of graft, a lot of honesty, a lot of endeavour, and we showed that on the, on Saturday. I think now Richard Marshall needs to tap into the composure of the team. We lacked a bit of composure, I thought, at times in that game, particularly when Cass went down to 11 men. I know it was only for five minutes or so, but we, we, we sort of tried to score every time we had the ball there, rather than just, just sort of being a bit smarter and just building a bit of pressure. So I think sometimes when we get sort of 20 yards, you know, if front of the opposition's line, we, we do come up with the wrong option sometimes and just, whereas just, just playing the game a bit smart, you know, Tuil Ollery and Kevin Brown just need to link a bit better, I think. So, uh, I think particularly Chris Atkins' performance was, was, was good. I thought when Chris came on, we, we speeded the game up. I think, I'd be, if I was Richard Marshall, I'd be looking at starting him as a, a starting hooker against St. Helens, definitely. So, uh, there's a few positives there, but an awful lot of positive performances as well. I thought Harvey Lovett was terrific again. We've got a real good signing there. I think he's a he's a bit of a gem there, a gem of a signing. So, uh, I think he's only going to get better and better. So, not too downhearted at all. Like you said, best performance of the season so far. And uh, we've got to take that now and that confidence into the league games. Yeah, the Suns Rugby League correspondent Gaz Carter spoke to Richard Marshall after the game. And this we had to say... Gary. Oh, yeah. Um, despite the result, you must see that as a positive step forward with the performance, I guess. Yeah, I think uh, all in all, I thought we were good value today. I thought we could have won the game and should have won the game. Um, I think we had moments within the performance where we showed a lot of character, a lot of toughness. I think even, even in the first 10 minutes, we set the tone. We just defended seven back-to-back sets and I went down the other end and scored. And to get into a con, we, we, we wanted to get into a tight contest. Uh, obviously, we wanted to come out the other side. Um, unfortunately, Cass were a bit too good today. Do you think? Did you think you perhaps get it when Moose reaches out with twelve seconds left, and so all the momentum was sort of going your way, going into Golden Point, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, again, what resilience, character, uh, toughness to. Never say, you know, the Salford never say die attitude, which was in bucket loads today. Um, uh, I also thought we had another, I thought Kev scored a try as well. Uh, I'll have to look at that. But at the time I thought, I know it went up as a no try and was ruled out. But I thought that was a difficult one to take. But to get to, to get to, yeah, to golden point um, and, and then obviously just get beat at the end, you know, the emotions of, of coaching, you know, a minute before we were, we were elated. And then a minute after, uh, we were so disappointed. I know Gareth O'Brien kicked the drop goal, but was Paul McShane the difference between the sides? And did he show why he's such a special player? Yeah, he did last week. He was the difference between the two teams last week. And if I'm being honest, he was the difference again today. Uh, it's okay. You can you can talk about players, and you can you can say what suggest what we should do to to limit the threats. But at the same time. Um, you know, he's, he's a world-class player. He really is. And, uh, you know, and he shuffled down that short side and uh, and set the game up for Castleford. Um, obviously, he's, 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 he was instrumental in us not getting a field goal and, um, and, and then winning the game. Yeah, fantastic player. Despite the step forward in the performance, was the drop balls an issue again for you? It looks that way. We, we feel that we're just giving ourselves not the opportunity that we deserve. Um, it's not, there's no lack of effort. It's, you know, it's just a lack of smarts and, and skill with the ball. Um, yeah. And it was obviously the conditions were the same for both teams. I thought first half, we handled it a little bit better. I thought our kicking game was a lot better in the first half. Um, and we just, we just lost the rook at times in that second half. 
which which threw us off. Um, but on the whole, it was I thought I thought we made some really good strides forward, even off last week, which I thought we, we were pretty good for for forty minutes too. Cheers, Rich. I'll pass you over. Thank you. Thank you. Tom, you're going next, mate. So that was Gaz and Richard having a chat in the pre-match press conference, uh, post-match press conference, Paul, sorry. And yeah, Richard Marshall, you know, he talked about the Salford spirit and it was on show. And I'm sure he looks at that team and and the squad he's he's managed to inherit from Ian Watson and what he's been able to do so far. And he only thinks of bright things ahead. Yeah, certainly. We've had a pretty tough start to the season. We've uh, had some tough fixtures, haven't we? I mean, I know so, so everybody else. You've got to play all the teams and what have you. And Richard's still finding his feet at Salford. We've said it before on the podcast as well, haven't we? That you know, there's a lot of changes there. There's a backroom staff changes, been player changes. We've had a, quite a few injuries as well. We've, we've suffered injuries quite and quite a lot of disruption early doors. So I think once we get this settled, sign, I think we're going to be fine, Rob. We've, we've showed that we've got enough commitment there. We've got enough skill as well. There's plenty of talent there. We've just reamed some of the players off. Two of them here, Kevin Brown. You know, the, the, the outside backs, Callum Watkins, Ken Seal. We've still got Joe Burgess to come into the team as well, who's, who's still injured. You have Levet there playing really well, Elijah Taylor. There's plenty of talent there. There's enough talent in that that squad there to steer clear of any sort of relegation worry. So that, I'm not worried about that at all. I think Richard Marshall will get the best out of this side. I think it's just a case of being patient. Yep, settlements away next week, Monday the 17th, Paul. Settlements are a big, are a good side and we will be have to be at our very best to, to beat them. Obviously, Richard Marshall came from St. Ellen's. He'll know them inside out. Do you think that's going to help us uh, going forward into this game? Yeah, I don't see where it could be a hindrance to you. I mean, we've not won there in 25 visits in Super League. We've not won there since January 1980, so it's 41 years. It's a long, long time. Um, countless numbers of games that we've lost there, haven't we, on the spin. So uh, it's a tough place to go. It really is. St. Ellen's either the best side in the country at the moment by a long way. But I've been watching them recently and Huddersfield gave them a really good good game in the Cup at the weekend. And there were signs there in that St. Ellen side that you can score points against them and uh, their attack looks a bit iffy at times. So, I mean, they're not firing all cylinders at the moment. But if you can catch one on an off day, there's, there's no reason why you can't go and give them a good game. But that's going to be a tough fixture. But uh, if anyone knows about St. Ellen's, Richard Marshall does having worked there for the last two years, like you said. So, yeah, I'm confident we can go there and give a good account of ourselves. I think it's good that if we can go there and compete I think compete and then anything after that is a bonus really so you've got to go there and compete first before you can think about winning yeah it's a tough run of fixtures for Richard Marshall's men and it's a test I feel for Richard Marshall and the players because we go into these games traditionally thinking if we can nick one we'll be all right if we want to go to that next level Paul if we want to get to playoffs and, and semi-finals and grand finals in the future we need to go to these teams and win. And I'm sure Richard Marshall, given the extended period of time off, obviously it's been a, going to be a full week, isn't it, at least, you know, since they played last. They're going to be physically up for it. Settlements are a tough side, but I'm sure we look at our team, we look at their team, their team packed full of internationals, but our team, like we showed on Saturday, full of heart, full of commitment to the cause. And that's what you want in big games like that. Yeah, players with skill can make a big difference, but if your team want it enough that can make the difference yeah it can I think sometimes you, your heart and your endeavour can only t- take you so far but it can take you an awful long way 
you know, we, we saw that. I'm not saying that our our 2019 team didn't have skill, but that that was built on heart and, and guts and determination. That side wasn't, it? And, and quite a bit of skill as well. But um, that took us an awful long way and, and nearly got us a league a league championship. So, uh, so yeah, we've got to approach that game now and uh, approach it as a cup final. It's a massive thing, isn't it? You know, if we were to go there and beat St. Helens, those players would become heroes overnight, wouldn't they? It'd be it'd be a tremendous result for us. So, uh, yeah, they've got like just over a week and sort of week and a couple of days rest now. So a ten day rest or something. So uh, that'll be good for them as well. You know, to to rest themselves and people like. Dan Sardison, who's, who's had a bit of time off injured, and Elijah Taylor as well. Get them guys you know, absolutely chomping at the bit to play St. Helens. And I'm looking forward to that. I think it'll be a real good test to see where we're at. Yeah, off the field, Paul, uh, the club announced there's currently um, an internal investigation be- between one of the players. Uh, we don't know who it is, and we don't know what they've done. But they did mention that there was an activities on social media they're, they're looking into. It kind of shows how important and how you know, social media can be a good thing and a bad thing, uh, you know, because obviously whatever people say, it goes miles and miles and can offend. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that and what's happened. It's a difficult one. Um, really, I suppose, really speaking, perhaps players shouldn't really be on social media if the contractors took a club. I'm not too sure. I think it's solved an awful lot of problems if they weren't. But, um, you know, obviously people want to be on there, don't they, to higher the profiles and things like that but you've got to be careful what you say when you're representing you know not just a not just a rugby league club when you're representing anybody you know when you're working for a for a company like I work for or you work for you can't go on there and bring your company into to disrepute can you so whatever's been said you know you've got to be very very careful these days what you say and I suppose you know with the rugby league having a, a blackout I suppose it can be used in a positive way plus rugby league and football all sports you know with with the uh, Social media, you know, being a, being a bad thing, getting people getting abused, and the whole sport coming together uh, to try and flush that out online. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I suppose you'll. It's difficult to to flush things out because you're always going to get the odd crackerjack who's going to send a, a daft message out. It's, it's very very difficult. Um, there's a lot of uh, silly people out there sometimes, isn't there, in this modern world that we live in? But no, it's. You know, people have got to get on top of that, haven't they? And I think I think people need to take a bit of responsibility, don't they? You know, if you're slagging people off and that, and sending sending vile messages and that, you just need to have a look at yourself because it's not the right thing to do. So, uh, so yeah, I'm sure that the clubs will get on top of that, and and, and hopefully, don't think you'll ever stop it, but you can have a good go at it. Yeah, let's talk about our other club in the local area, Swinton Lions. Uh, they face Bradford Bulls at Haywood Road. <laughs> But went down to defeat, twenty-three points to twenty-two. Tough defeat on the on the Lions. Worked very hard, but Bradford just had enough to sneak the points. They certainly did. Yes, Winton gave a good account of themselves today. They they come from a few scores behind. Actually, I think Bradford had quite a decent lead going into half time, and Bradford got dropped a goal. It was um, Jordan Lilly who dropped a goal after an, after an hour, and it looked like the game was over. But no, a, a great comeback there. Rodri Lloyd and, and Jack Hansen scoring tries and. You know, with about 10 minutes remaining there, it was 23-22 and, you know, Swinton just couldn't get that uh, that elusive score, could they, to get their first result of the season. But, you know, credit to you at Littler's guys. Uh, they've showed an awful lot of heart and commitment. They've had a couple of tough defeats over the last couple of weeks and, you know, supporters have been a bit miffed off with them and, you know, people lose a bit of confidence, don't they, and a bit of faith in the players and that. And I think the players have restored that today for them and that belief. So they've got some tough fixtures coming up as well. I mean, I've just had a look at some of the scores today. Witness got absolutely battered against Toulouse, 70 points to nil. So, 
you know, Swinton will be looking at teams like that now, thinking they're going to have to start getting results soon. So it's a very competitive uh, league, that championship. But very, very unlucky today against, against a decent Bradford side as well. who have had some good results this season so far. Yeah, Luke Waterworth was sin-binned for the Lions. That was a crucial moment in the game, Paul. 12 men against Bradford. That crucial point kind of made the difference for me. Yeah, well... He was he was simbin on the hour mark and and they, they didn't really concede many points after that to be honest but the da- the damage was already done you know coming from behind there I think they just ran out of steam and just ran out of time in the end so uh, so a great comeback showing some real commitment there you know they've got a good wily uh, halfback there Martin Ridyard who gets them around the pitch and you know again I think it's the same with Swinton and Saul but they've got a lot of new players and, and new faces in their team as well and sometimes it does take a, a while to settle don't forget they've had a lot of time off with the pandemic as well and just come back this season not had loads of pre-season games so it does, does take time to to get your, your, your sequences back and your, your systems in place so Stuart Little knows what he's doing and you know, and I think a big boost for Swindon as well with the crowds coming back because they've got a real loyal fan base down there at Haywood Road who'll get behind them, and that's probably worth a, a couple of tries when you go down there and you've got those supporters behind them. So they'll be looking forward to that in the coming weeks as well. Yeah, he faced Dewsbury at home on the 17th. Opportunity for hopefully fans to get down there. Well, yeah, I've just seen the scores this evening, Sunday, as we record this, and um, Dewsbury's been well beaten by Halifax today, so they've had a big defeat. I think that finished 30-odd points to nil, so uh, you know they're a team low on confidence, so that's, that's a game Swinton are definitely going to be tagging. I think they're tagging all the games, Swinton, but that's definitely one for them to uh, to try and get the first win of the season. Yeah, and old Salford are hosting like a test event for fans ahead of the game against Wigan, I think the week after. It's going to be interesting to see how how that works out because obviously the new normal us fans wanting to go to games it won't be the same but you want to try and make it as near as you can because obviously that's what the fans have been missing going to games and socialising and watching the boys in, in real life it'll be a big thing when it, and it actually happens I think it will Rob I mean it's bobbins at the moment without crowds I mean at the game on, on, on Saturday I was doing reports at the game and it went to Golden Point in extra time it's a fantastic finish there and it's just it's just a dead, eerie silence at the end of the game. You've know, just seen a great ending in Golden Point should time. It's just, what's well, gone over. The players have sort of cheered and everybody walks off in silence. So it is very, very strange at the moment. And I think that's definitely what's lacking. You don't really notice it when you watch it on the telly. I watched it back today and they've got that, that crowd noise in the background. So you don't really notice it when you're there. It, it is. It's it, it's crying out for the, the crowds at the moment. So hopefully the test event goes well, and then we've got Wigan at home on the twenty second. Salford have on the twenty second of May. This is Saturday, uh, and I think that's the game where, where there's going to be a, a crowd there. So I think it's twenty five percent of the of the crowd or four thousand or something like. That. So hopefully the season ticket holders will be able to get in and uh, they, they can organise it. If this test event goes well, I'm sure they can figure out the, the best way of, of getting everybody in safely. Yep, so that's the end of our Rugby League chat on the Sports Zone this week. We're joined by Jane Sweetman from the Sweetman Salvi podcast. How's your week been, mate? Yeah, terrific week, Rob. Excited to get on the show and talk all things boxing. Yep, so let's talk boxing now, you and Paul. Tell us what's going on in the world of boxing. Absolutely, Paul. Where do we kick things off? With the super fight over the course of the weekend, Canelo Alvarez took on Billy Joe Saunders. And in spells, the Brit. Rick was boxing fantastically, but ultimately the Mexican was too much for him. And there's one point we need to kick off from, and that is, did Billy Joe Saunders quit? No, I don't think so, uh, James. I think um, looking at that that face and that eye problem, it was very difficult for him to go back out there. He, he looked in a bit of a bad way there, didn't he? And I think 
I think Canelo had, had just battered the, the the life out of him. Really, you know, he's such a powerful man, isn't he? For the weight and the way that some of those punches were coming in there, ferocious at times. I just think Billy Joe Saunders lives to fight another day. Really, it's a it'd be a brave man to go to Billy Joe Saunders and tell him he's quit because uh, you know he's, he's a very tough bloke and he give he give everything in those uh, those first sort of seven or eight rounds, didn't he? I mean. I think I give him at least three rounds, so he was doing all right on the on the scorecard, really well in the fight. To be honest with you, and I think sort of round six and seven, Canelo started cornering him off a bit, didn't he, and uh, closing him down in the ring, not allowing him that space because Billy Joe Saunders thrives off that having that space and getting off that front foot. But no, for me, I think uh, I think Canelo boxed him superbly well and uh, and just boxed the life out of him. Yeah, you mentioned there you had it scored five rounds to three to Canelo. I don't think I've seen a fight in recent times which has had people debating so heatedly how wide the cards were. I saw some people, I mean, Billy Joe Saunders wide, some had Canelo wide. Why do you think people saw the fight so differently to each other? I think sometimes people score things differently from what they like to see. I think we've spoke about that before. That's, that's how I think of it anyway, but... I tend to just look at the, the shots that are landed. You know, if, if a clean shot gets landed, I think that's the fair way to score to score a fight. So I just tend to score score it off, off the clean shots landed and and the way people are boxing. I mean, I don't I don't get this way. If you catch someone on the gloves, that to me is not a scoring punch. So so yeah, clean shots landed. That's how I tend to score it. So yeah, I think people tend to go their own different ways and like different things, don't they? And, um, and like the different things what different boxers do. So uh, but no. I, I thought I was I was roundabout right with that, but I think everyone will have their own opinion, won't they? And luckily, that's why we've got three three judges there who hopefully they'll, they'll get it right. But they don't always do. They? But they didn't have to do on this one, did they? Because uh, Billy Joe Saunders uh, didn't come back out. But uh, but no, I, I thought he give a give a great account of himself against a against a real tough hombre in in, in Canelo. So you personally think that Billy Joe Saunders didn't quit? You feel it was the right decision by the corner to pull him out at the end of the eighth round? A recent interview has come up in which he criticised Daniel Dubois quite heavily for how he went out in the Joe Joyce uh, fight with a similar eye injury. Do you think those comments have come back to bite him a little bit? He was very critical of Daniel Dubois and a similar thing has just happened to him on Saturday night. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, you could be right, mate. I mean, we discussed that a while ago, didn't we, about Daniel Dubois? And I remember speaking to a few lads in the gym who said the same thing to me. Oh, he quit there. He did this, he did that, he did that. The only person who will ever know that is Daniel Dubois himself and, and Billy Joe Saunders himself. I mean, you can say all oh, oh, you want. You're not in there with with one of the best fighters in the world, are you? Billy Joe Saunders was, and his his team will have looked at that. And you know what you don't want to do is send your fighter back out there and do some massive damage to him and and, and wind up finishing his career. You know he's still got some time left in his career, and he could have gone out there in that ninth round and and, and really took some punishment and and done a and career ending injury, and that's what you don't want. So I think you're always best right to. To err on the side of caution, it's a difficult situation. You know, your boxer's in there in the fight of his life, and if he got the result against Canelo, it's it, you know it's, it's absolutely amazing stuff. So you, you've got to you don't want to sort of quit there when you've got a chance of uh, doing great things, but you've always got to err on the side of caution. I think particularly in, in the sport of boxing. What did you make of Billy Joe Saunders' antics during fight week? I mean, either there was controversy after he had a got a Mexican reporter, you know, making comments about his breath, which were. You know, a lot of people found them very uncomfortable to watch. He was complaining about the ringside. He was making digs at Canelo's history in terms of his drug pass. What did you make of him all around this week? Sick as a wallet. I think he's. I think he's crazy. Some of the stuff he says, you, you just can't really warm to him, can you? I've never really been a fan of him, to be honest, because he's, he's. He's a good boxer. He really is a good boxer, and he's got an awful lot of talent. But he's a very difficult person to sort of get behind because. 
his, his ego seems to get in the way and his jokiness. And I saw some of the interviews with reporters and it, it's very uncomfortable that and very disrespectful when somebody's interviewing you and to not, you know, be, be sensible. And I think he was chucking a few swear words in some of them. So I don't get that. I really don't get that side of his character. If that's just the way he is, it, it's the way he is. But don't think you're going to gain lots and lots of fans being like that. So... I don't know. He just seems a very—he seems a very strange person, to be honest. He never seems to be to be serious about anything. But uh, I suppose he got his comeuppance in that fight. Most definitely. For years, we've talked about Billy Joe Saunders potentially being the most talented fighter on these shows, and he just hasn't quite performed due to the level of opponent. Well, this Saturday night, he had his opportunity for arguably the best pound for pound fight on the world. And off the back of it, what level is Billy Joe Saunders at? Is he at the elite world level? Because he was competitive very much in that fight until, you know, the final blows. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, if he hadn't got that eye injury there, I think he'd have carried on there. And I think Canelo still would have won the fight because he was coming on really strong. I mean, you think about the chin that Canelo's got. He's, he's, he's such a difficult man to hurt, really, isn't he? And it would have been difficult. He needs a difficult guy to beat on points as well because he's so technically gifted. So it was always going to be a tough contest for him. But I think he's he's announced himself on the world stage. There, when you talk about someone like Canelo, he's an elite, an elite level fighter. I think you've got world level, and then you've got the elite level of fighters. I mean, we can all name name the elite guys, can't we? You know, that's of. You know, Canelo's one of them, isn't he? And um, you know, some of the other guys on on that level are just are just beyond beyond the, the the world level. So it's it, it is difficult. It is difficult to to match those sort of guys. But I think, I mean, I know Chris Eubank Jr. wants a, a rematch with him, doesn't he? So uh, would that be something he goes down? I think he can still he can still still mix it there with the best. So uh, I'm sure he'll still get some big fights because he's a, he's a very talented guy. He's still got plenty of uh, life left in his career as well. Yeah, you mentioned Chris Eubank Jr. there. He actually placed a £10,000 bet on his ex-rival, Billy Joe Saunders, to get knocked out in this fight. Obviously, that bet came in. Do you think he'll be happy to get one over his old rival there? Yeah, I'm probably sure he will be there. That, that's probably a bit of motivation for, uh, for Billy Joe Saunders as well, for two of them get that on. I think that's a natural fight to happen, that between those two guys. I know Chris Eubank had a good result the, the week before, didn't he, against Marcus Morrison. So he, he, he looked pretty sharp in that fight as well. And I think he showed that He's at a decent level, at a decent standard there. So uh, those two guys both belong at sort of that 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 neck of that neck of levels anyway. But but yeah, that's um, it's quite a, quite a decent win that for him. It's, it's all right when you can put that sort of money on uh, on your on your bets. <laughs> Just how good is Canelo Alvarez off the back of that performance? I mean, he looked absolutely incredible. He had a few tough rounds in there, but he overcame the adversity and ultimately stopped Billy Joe Saunders, who has a very tough style uh, matchup for him. It's looking like he could be in with Caleb Plant next, who, again, a very slick fighter, a very good fighter. But is there anyone who can beat Canelo right now? Very difficult question, that. I mean, we've all been raving over the last, I don't know, five, six years about, you know, Callum Smith in the UK, looking at him, looking at the size of him, for his, you know, six foot three, six foot two, and the weight he was boxing at, at super middleweight. He looked like he'd be the best one on the planet, and we were all thinking that. And then he got in there with Canelo, and, and now I wouldn't say he got shown up, but Canelo looked looked a level above, didn't he? And I think it's, it's difficult. He is, you know, pound for pound, one of the best, isn't he? So it's going to take somebody, somebody really, really skillful to beat, but also someone really tough. Because I said before that he's got a real granite chin, hasn't he? And uh, you know, it's going to take an awful lot to, to knock him out. So, uh, so no, you know, whoever does beat him, if he does ever get beat, he's he's going to deserve it. Moving on to Friday night in Russia. And a favourite of ours over the last few years, Liam Smith, a man who always puts in entertaining performances. He went out and seemingly beat Magomed Kurbanov, but it wasn't given to him. 
another poor scorecard. I mean, can we really complain with you know some of the scorecards we've had over in England over the last few weeks? No, we probably can't really, can we? Because we've had some terrible ones over here. But that was unlucky for Liam Smith. He put an awful lot into that, didn't he? And uh, it was a unanimous decision as well. But quite a quite a poor one I thought I thought he did really well in that fight and probably just did enough to nick it but uh, but no you, you can't trust these uh, these these scorecards at the moment there's some be some really really tough ones on on our fighters where does Liam Smith go from here because if he'd got the win there you know he's closing in on another world title shot and now he's at the back of the queue yeah he certainly is he, he's been on a decent role hasn't he last I think he had three fights in 2019 he's not fought since 2019 I don't think because he didn't fight last year so He's been uh, he's been out of the, out of the action for a while, so yeah, that's probably a bit of a setback for him. But there's there's still plenty of fights out there for him. I mean, the Liam Williams fight looks uh, looks an interesting one, doesn't it? They've already fought each other twice, so that, that could be a, a trilogy of that fight if they got that one on again. But uh, I still think Liam Smith's got a couple of years left in him at the elite level. He, he proved that, and at the weekend, he's 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 still got the, the talent. I think he's about 32 now, isn't he? So I think he's still got a couple of big fights left in him, and definitely some at world level. But like you said, he's probably going to move back to the, the the queue now. But there's there's plenty of British fights over here for him. The the the, uh, the Williams one is one that um, sort of um, gets my appetite going. I think that'd be a great fight again. Some slightly sad news for UK fight fans. Josh Taylor versus Jose Ramirez is a great fight for all four belts in the super lightweight division. However, it seems both Sky Sports and BT Sport have passed up on broadcasting this one. It's ended up on Fight TV, which is an online app available for £15. I mean, how sad is it that no UK broadcasters picked this one up? No, it seems a strange one, that, because uh, I thought Josh Taylor was was under um, under Eddie Hearn at, at Matchroom, unless he's, he's changed. That he, a lot of his facts have been on the... On satellite tell I'm sure they've been on Sky Sports, haven't they? So, uh, so that's uh, that's very disappointing that for the for the, for the Scotsman because we we've seen him in some some terrific fights, haven't we, over the last couple of years? So, uh, so yeah, it's disappointing that. Can we? I mean, me asking you now, can we watch that if we've got like Sky Television? Can we get that on our tellies, or is it something you just watch online? I believe if you have Sky Television, your only option is to watch it online. I believe that you can get Fight TV through Virgin TV. So it's difficult for people to watch in the mainstream than that, really. And that's disappointing because, you know, Taylor's a terrific fighter and, uh, you know, one that we'd all like to see on our, on our tellies. It's such a shame we can't get boxing back on terrestrial television. I know we have quite a bit and, and some good coverage on, on Channel 5 as well when it's on, but uh, I'd love to see a bit more. I mean, we used to see some great fights, didn't we, on ITV on a Saturday night. I'd love to see that back. I think it'd be be great for the, for the public of, uh, of Great Britain to, to be able to see that. And in more disappointing news, a heavyweight fight we we're all looking forward to, Michael Hunter versus Philip Hergovich. The Persbids were done, the Sarlins had won it. It seemed to be going ahead. And Michael Hunter's pulled out of the fight. No reason's been given other than that he's going in another direction. Is this a duck from Hunter? What What's going on? It seems a strange one to, to have something signed up and then just to pull out of it like that. I mean, you've got a feel for the opponent there, really, haven't you? I mean, where does he go from there? You know, you've got your preparation sorted and then someone just pulls out and doesn't give any reason for it at all. I mean... That that's that's very harsh to, to do something like that, and it just seems a real, real strange decision. So I don't know where he where he's going from there. And, and yeah, as you say, people are going to say that, fans are going to say that you've ducked it because if you're not going to come with a reason. You know, it just look just seems like you've uh, you've ducked out on somebody. And the last one for you, 
Paul, and I'm not. I'm sure you'll be absolutely sick of hearing his name. But we had the Floyd Mayweather Logan Paul press conference over the course of the last week. Logan's brother Jake, who of course has been in the headlines for all the wrong reasons, getting into squabbles with MMA fighters. He, he be, of course beat Ben Askren a few weeks ago. Him and Floyd Mayweather got into an altercation. They were arguing back and forth about signing contracts. Jake Paul stole Floyd Mayweather's hat. The whole thing went. Mental Floyd Mayweather has punched the YouTuber on a couple of occasions, put him in a headlock. There seemed to be like a 30, 40 man brawl going on at the press conference. What did you make of this? Is this good for selling the fight? I mean, I've never seen Floyd lose his cool like this before. I mean, he was literally telling the YouTuber that he was going to kill him, he was going to murder him. He didn't stop shouting these abusives until, you know, about five, six minutes after it went on for a long time. What's going on? That baseball that must have meant a lot to him then because he seemed really miffed about that, didn't ask us reading about that the other day. I think he's got under his skin there. Um, and perhaps that's, I mean, we all know what a terrific fighter, you know, Floyd Mayweather has been throughout his career. And, you know, no one's ever really got near him, have they? So there's been, been one or two close fights, but he's been been absolutely legendary and legendary status. So has he done the right thing here by getting under his skin? You know, will that help him, you know, when they when they come together? I, I'm not too sure. It might just fuel the fire there, really. But no, never seen him lose it like that before. Never seen him lose it like that. And, and yeah, it's great for the fight. It's probably going to re- really sort of add the appeal to the fight and really stoke it up, isn't it? But uh, but no, it looked a bit ridiculous, that really, all, all that sort of over a, over a baseball cap going missing. But no, very strange. But we're living strange times at the moment, don't we? There's, there's no doubt about that. Most definitely. And of course, it isn't Jake that's going to be in the ring with Floyd Mayover in June. It's going to be his older brother, Logan, who stands at six foot four, a very big guy. Of course, we're expecting Floyd Mayover to win this fight. But how's he going to do it at such a big reach disadvantage? How does he how does he get the win? Uh, with a reach advantage, I think he's got to get in close, hasn't he? There's no doubt about that. You can't. You can't box somebody that's got such a big reach advantage at range, at long range, can you? So he's got to get in there close, hasn't he, and, and pick his punches. And, you know, Floyd Mayweather can, Mayweather can do that. He can turn, he can get out of the way as well. So, you know, he, he's got all the tools to, to fight anybody, hasn't he? I think no matter how tall they are or, or no matter how the reach is. And I'm, I'm pretty confident that Floyd Mayweather will, will do the business. And that's all the boxing for today. I'm going to throw back over to Rob now for a bit of UFC. Yep, let's talk uh, UFC now, James, UFC 262 takes place this weekend and the lightweight world championship is on the line. Break it down for us, James. Well, it's a great fight for the lightweight championship of the world. Charles Oliveira and Michael Chandler meet for the vacant world title. Khabib Namagomedov is retired. He's done. He's not coming back. And these two men are going to go toe-to-toe. Charles Oliveira an amazing jiu-jitsu fighter. Fantastic on the round. A record of 30 wins, 8 losses and He's got a fantastic tear as of late. He seems unbeatable. He seems to have come into his own. He beat Tony Ferguson in his last fight. And a lot of people think that he's the number one contender right now. But coming in is Michael Chandler. He's been a world champion in other organizations such as Bellator. And he opened his debut with such a massive right-hand knockout that he deserved this opportunity. I think I think Chandler probably wins. But Oliveira, he's been so good in the UFC as of late. It wouldn't shock me if we saw the upset. Was this the right matchup for the vacant title? I think so. With Dustin Poirier taking on Conor McGregor, I think these two were the only men that were available to fight for that world title. Charles Oliveira has been on a fantastic run. Michael Chandler had such an explosive knockout in his UFC debut that I feel like you had to give it to these two men. Who will win the? Who will the winner of this fight go up against next? 
whoever wins out of Oliveira and Michael Chandler, they'll be the world champion. They'll be thrilled with that. But there's a big money fight waiting for them against the winner of Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor. Those two men are going to be going to war for the third and final time. And the winner of that trilogy bout will be fighting for a lightweight title once again. And the final UFC question, is there anything else of note going on on the card? Uh, the co-main event is Tony Ferguson versus Ben Aldariush. And Ferguson, one of the greatest lightweights who ever lived, but he's on a two-fight losing streak. I mean, it's weird. At the start of the coronavirus pandemic, he was the guy that was going to take over the division. He fought two times behind closed doors, couldn't seem to get the victories, and now he's fighting for his career. And another great fight, Jack Hermanson versus Edmund Sharbazian. Great fight. Sharbazian, a very highly tight prospect. Lost his last fight, but he's going to be coming back with a bank. And Hermanson, a great submission game. And I think that's a fight that will probably be the best of the night outside of the main event. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens this week in the UFC, James. Let's talk football now. And uh, Salford City FC, they finished their season with a 3-0 victory against Leighton Orient. Good result for the Amis to finish the season. Unfortunately, not enough to get them promoted, but I'm sure positive going forward. Absolutely, Rob. I mean, 3-0, a great victory, a good one to finish your season on. The fans will be happy. The teams will be happy. And for me, it's just a season that you build off, isn't it? It was the first time in League Two they were adapting to the league well. And ultimately, they were only two points off the playoffs, so a really good season. And I think they fought well against adversity. Of course, at one point, they were really off, weren't they? They had, I think, towards the back end of the season, they lost about four or five games in a row, and then they bounced back and put a good winning streak together. So I'm very happy with how Salford have performed this season. I think the manager will be happy, and I think there's a lot to build up for next season, and maybe they even get promoted. What did you make of the season, Rob? Yeah, I thought it's been pretty good, to be fair. Obviously, they've had a few turbulent weeks. They lost the manager halfway through the season after winning uh, the, the Papa John's Trophy, Paul. And, you know, to get from that point where... They were in a bit of a mess to now. It's only a good thing going forward. Yeah, certainly. They've had a bit of adversity this season, haven't they? Changing the, the manager as well. And I think it takes a while to, to get to grips, doesn't it, to, to league football. It's a big step up. We, we, we've said that before, haven't we? Coming up from non-league and coming to the football league as well. So it does take a bit of time to consolidate. And I think the disruption of changing your manager and changing players as well. So I think they need to just settle down now, consolidate. And, and you know, 20 year. Uh, 2021-2022 season is going to be a big season for them and there's, there's no reason why they can't go chasing promotion next year. Yeah, the new coach, Gary Bowyer, came in, steadied the ship. Uh, James won Man of the Month, Manager of the Month in April, uh, which is great for him. Shows how much you know good stuff he's done uh, in that short period of time he's been here. Well, a good manager can definitely turn a club around, can't they? I mean, Salford was struggling and it seems like he worked his magic touch and everything's working out for Salford again. I mean, Graham Alexander did such a good job and we needed a strong man to take over. And I think he's the man for the job, isn't he? A fantastic manager and I think he'll have a lot to work on for next season. And I think he could well get Salford product to League One. Yeah, Ian Henderson won Player of the Year in April as well. He's been such a big player for Salford in the last uh, few weeks and months, Paul. Yeah, he certainly has. I saw quite a bit of Ian Henderson when he played at, at Rochdale. Yeah, terrific, terrific club man and uh, chips him with a lot of goals as well, doesn't he? He's a quite a prolific goal scorer. So, uh, yeah, I think he's uh, I think he's clocking on a bit now. He's well into his 30s, but no, he's been a terrific footballer down in, uh, down in those levels of uh, football around this area for, for Rochdale and now for Salford. And uh, we're looking to hang on to him, definitely. He's a, he's a good talisman. Yeah, obviously, moving forward into next season, James, I'm sure this season... 
a bedding season real effort for Salford City FC. They're looking at next season pushing on because obviously this team they want to achieve the best they can get. They've got good owners behind them who have you know financial assets which they can which they can pump into the club. And you're hoping obviously this can be the the short the start of something. Well, I think it's definitely the start of something special, isn't it? It was always going to be when the likes of Paul Scholes, Gary Neville, Ryan Giggs, etc. got involved. I think it instantly brought a lot of publicity to the club and people really wanted to get behind them. Let's not forget, this is the first season in league football. They're a relatively new side. And if you look at what they've done throughout the course of the year, I think you can only expect positive things going forward, Rob. Yeah, Paul, I think Salford City FC, they've come on leaps and bounds in the last few years. They've got bigger ambitions. They think championship, they think premiership in, in a few years' time. They've got that momentum behind them yet. Yeah, they failed to go up this year, but they've got enough class in that squad to ask questions for next year, definitely. Yeah, I think you, you, you can't run before you can walk. You can't start thinking of Premier League, can you, until you've gone up into the... The next league is League One, the next one, and that's that's a very tough league as well, isn't it? There's uh, there's some big sides in there. You look at like some Sunderland and teams like that that are down in Ipswich Town. So there's an awful lot of quality through that football league. And I think each league you go up, it's a big big step. You know when sides do get promoted, they, they, they tend to find it tough the first season, you know, to to make an impact. And quite quite often you see sides come straight back down, don't you? So uh, I think they've just got to not not run before they can walk. Just just take your time, build slowly, but. You've got the ambition there and the, and the money behind. There's no reason why they can't. Yeah, let's talk about Man City. Now, James, defeat against Chelsea this week. They lost 2-1 um, at home. Disappointing result for Pep Guardiola's men. They faced Chelsea before and lost with them coming up in the Champions League final. Is it is it more of a psychological thing now? Because obviously Chelsea are a very good team and if City can't beat them, they, they, lost, they lost to them in the FA Cup as well. So they're going to be a bit of doubt in their minds, I reckon. Most definitely. I mean, it's a disappointing result for one because they wanted to lift the Premier League, didn't they? But a more disappointing result because this is the team that Manchester City are going to be playing in the Champions League final. A, a competition that they've never won before. If you feel going in that you can't beat this side, then that's a terrible mindset to be in. So for me, Chelsea, despite performing far worse in the league than City overall this season, I think from a mindset point of view, they go in the favourites. And that's the thing, isn't it, really, Paul? Because when you feel like you're not the favourites, puts a bit of pressure on. Because obviously Man City, runaway leaders in the in the Premier League, European Cup finalists, you know, that they think we think that they're going to go and win an easy. And if, and if they struggle, you know, pressure will build. Oh, it certainly will. It certainly will. And I think there's a bit of pressure on Manchester City there now, isn't there? I know it's going to be difficult for Manchester United to overtake them in the league. They've got to lose all the remaining games, haven't they, United, to win them all. But there's that little bit of pressure has got there, hasn't it? You know, over the last few weeks, they've, they've lost it to Chelsea there and they could have could have won the league. So, uh, we had some nagging doubts at the back of their mind now. And as James says there, that's a psychological boost that for Chelsea going into such a big game like the Champions League final. It's going to be, it's uncharted territory for, for, for City. They've never been there before. Chelsea have. They've been to that final before and, and won it as well, haven't they? So, uh, so yeah, I think definitely that that's a big boost for them this, this weekend with that result. Yeah, Sergio Aguero, James, missed a penalty, tried to be a bit cocky and did a peninka and missed. I suppose when you take penalties, what's your view on it? Is it you a blaster or, or do you place it or do you fancy a bit of trickery? 
Well, in my Sunday league career, Rob, I took two penalties and both were saved. So oh. I'm probably not the man to uh, to advise on this one. But uh, you know what? Uh, those penalties look absolutely brilliant, don't they, when they go in? I think everyone recalls the Andre Perlo one against us in the World Cup a few years back. But when you mess them up, it looks absolutely abysmal, doesn't it? I mean, there's nothing else to say. And Sergio Aguero has been embarrassed there. He'll be very upset with himself. But... More often than not, they seem to go in. It's very rare you get that moment of embarrassment. They seem to go in more often than not. But yeah, Aguero will be very disappointed in himself. And Paul, it must have been a frustrating watch. Yeah, Paul, oh, me yeah, and you, was. part of the goalkeeper's union. With a penalty, there's no pressure on us, really. But if you're a goalkeeper and you just stand still during a penalty, that takes nerves, doesn't it? Well, it does, yeah. I mean, they're expecting you to dive one way or another, aren't they? But... You will save penalties if you stand still. I mean, I've saved the odd one playing pub football years ago. Um, I always used to dive to the left. I think that was my favourite side to dive to. But but no, you look a bit of a lemon, don't you? If the, the goalkeeper stands still and you just sort of chip it forward like that. So I think with a, with a penalty, if it was me taking it, I'd just be hammering it down the middle or hammering it into a car. The more power you put behind it, the more chance you've got of scoring, I think. Yeah, it's talking about the European Cup final, James, there is talk of moving it from is it Istanbul to London because of the coronavirus pandemic is rife in Turkey by all accounts. So is it a good idea to, to move it to London, you think? Yeah, it's in the red zone, isn't it, Turkey? Uh, yeah, I think it'd be a great opportunity to move it to London. And by that time, I mean, when our fans allowed back in the stadium, I think it's May 17th, so if it comes after that, maybe you could get you know some fans at the Champions League final. I think that's the important thing, Paul. Obviously, us fans, like we said before, the test event at Salford, we just want to get back into the to the stage and support the team. And if these City fans who have watched them from the bottom of the second division all the way now to Champions League final have the opportunity to watch their team in the biggest prize ever in the world, they're going to try the best to get there and they're going to try the best to get a ticket. So to get it in England makes sense because we don't want ticketless fans marauding over Europe in the off chance they might get a ticket well surely it makes more sense I mean what's the point in sending sort of two teams all the way over to, to Turkey where it's in in the in like a red zone you know risking their health as well because it's not only 11 players who go you've got your substitutes or your backroom staff or the rest of the team I mean God knows how many they take with them probably 40 50 people so and probably more so it just makes sense to play in England and, and not only that football and rugby league at the moment without crowds it's absolutely soulless and if you've got a chance of getting a crowd there surely to God it makes sense to play at the National Stadium at Wembley and you know get some people in there because that's what sport's all about I mean I know you've got to look after people's health and that but, but sport without crowds is is, is rubbish really so uh, so yeah if there's a chance of having it at Wembley I think that makes it makes sense it does make sense Yeah let's talk Man United now James um, Europa League semi-final defeat in Rome but went through 5-8 with aggregate scores Oli in the final us fans you know, and players and officials will be happy with that yeah it's very rare you get 13 goals over the course of two games isn't it Rob an absolute goal fest between Manchester United and Roma I think despite the fact that they've gone through They'll still be very disappointed in that loss. It's never good, is it, to lose in Europe? But, you know, it is what it is. We're in the final. We've got Villarreal, a more than winnable game. And I still see us as the favourites to win the Europa League. I don't know if you feel the same. Yeah, I think two things out of it, James, was the fact that Edison Cavani showed why he's class with, with some fantastic goals uh, to, to put Man United through. But also, De Gea in goal 
some fantastic saves. Balls bouncing off him everywhere. It reminded me of like the advert where the, the guy's taking a penalty, just keeps hitting the goalkeeper, and the goalie's trying to get out of the way, and he still hits him. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of that, really, because after the saves, didn't know anything about. No, absolutely. I mean, David's ahead just seemed like a magnet, didn't he? To the ball in Italy the other week. But uh, fantastic performance from him. And do you feel he's been slightly hard done by this season? Well, I think I think with De Gea, he's got Ian Henderson behind him. You know, it's pressure. It's pressure. We've had we've had a lot of chat we about how David De Gea's, you know, confidence has been knocked and he's and he's as he is he tired psychologically after so many years of carrying Man United on his on his back. And and now is he crass out into Creek and with Ian Henderson coming in and we we don't know. We do he's, he's, he does show moments of, of, of magic, uh, Paul. We we look at goalkeepers as being a important part of any team and pulling off big saves that's why he gets picked and that's why he's a top goalkeeper and that's why he's Spanish number one he doesn't turn rubbish overnight and he shows in that game that he's still got the magic when he needs it the most Certainly your goalkeeper is just as important as your centre forward having your man scoring the goals because without the goalkeeper you're nothing higher and it needs that big presence doesn't it? It needs that big presence at the back and you know you need to have that that guy who's got whose defenders have got confidence in and I think with David De Gea you've got that you've got a guy who's been there for a number of years now and it, it did take Manchester United a long time to find the right goalkeeper didn't it? So uh, I think they've got him there in De Gea and he's a, he's a terrific keeper and comes up with some terrific saves. What do you think, James? Is is uh, is De Gea, Will De Gea be Manchester United number one next season? I hope so, isn't it? And you mentioned there that you know he's, he may be feeling psychologically over the hill with the amount of time he spent carrying Manchester United on his back. I think that commands a certain degree of respect, and we almost owe him, don't we, for the amount of time he spent saving us time after time after time. But somebody else I want to ask you about, Rob, is Edinson Cavani. Because when he first signed for Manchester United, a lot of people said he was going to go the same well of Falcao, Di Maria, Sanchez, etc. It's a flop. And he's been anything but. He's been fantastic all season round. It looks like he's signing a new contract. Do you think this sort of ends the curse of these European players coming over from, you know, the likes of Real Madrid, etc. and underperforming? And Cavani could hopefully set a new standard at Manchester United and be a great player. You're hoping so, James. He's, a, he's an out-and-out goal scorer. He's strong as well. And that's what I feel Man United have lacked. A centre-forward who's strong in, in attack, can hold defenders off and knows where the goal is. Yet we've had centre-forwards before who can score goals but can't link play. Ratchford, for example, he's, he's quick, he's nimble, he knows where the goal is, but he can't hold the ball up. And Man United like to play to the centre-forward and, and play it out from there. He's not strong enough. Same as same with Greenwood. These boys are developing still physically, Paul. And maybe three and five years down the line, physically they might be able to lead Man United's line. But at the moment, Edison Cavani, even though advanced years, five a time will catch up with him. That's that's a given. But at the moment, he's he's, he's staving it off. So as long as he keeps scoring the goals, that's all that matters. Yeah, of course. As you live for the the present, Rob, don't you? Don't worry about what's coming down the line two or three years down the line. You, you know, Cavani's doing the business at the moment. Long may that continue, and that's what you've got to do. I mean, you can't be looking at you know, three years time saying, "Oh, he might be over the hill by then." You might have a lot of success in those years leading up to that. So, I think you've got to live for the present with him. Yeah, two games this week, James. Leicester on Tuesday, and then the rearranged Liverpool game on Thursday. Two games in three days. Going to be tough on Ollie and his men. 
Yeah, extremely tough. I mean, Liverpool and Leicester two extremely hard time teams to beat at the best of the time, especially when you only have a day's rest in between. What do you make of the rescheduling here, Rob? And and secondly, I want to ask you about Sky Sports because they've come under a lot of criticism over the past couple of weeks because they were so against this European Super League. And then when fans had that big protest at Old Trafford, they were very anti them. And people were sort of saying that Sky Sports are very anti things when it affects their business and very pro things when it doesn't. They were anti this European Super League and they kept, and they pretend it was about the fans. But when the fans do something to you know, save their own club because it affects their game, their fixture televised on their network, they had a problem with it. Yeah, I think that's the hidden message, James, behind all of this. Sky wasn't happy that the European Super League were being created because they didn't have the rights. So then they wouldn't be able to show it. And that's why they were, they had, obviously, Gary Neville and, and Carragher helped to, to whip up that storm. And everyone jumped on it, which is fine, because obviously we don't want sort of football being taken away from the fans. And you, you kind of, you can see that, but... It also helps football as well because obviously we don't want the European Super League to to to, to happen, and you're hoping that's the end of it, uh, Paul. With kind of a minute to go now, Paul, it's going to be interesting to see what happens next with uh, with that because obviously Joe Glazier, uh, Man United's owner, has, has said he wants to talk to the fans about you know what happened with the Super League and hopefully paper over a few cracks. You've got to talk to your, your supporters, Rob. That's your supporters are the lifeblood of your club, no matter what sport, whether it's rugby league, cricket, football, you name it. So they need to be on side with the supporters. They're the people who keep that club going and have done for, you know, I don't know how long United have been going, is it hundred odd years? So yeah, you need to you need to speak to your supporters and find out what they want and go with those because you're just a custodian if you're running the club. You you don't own that club, you're just, just looking after it and that's how it should be. Yeah, 40 seconds to go, James. I think Paul's got it spot on there. You know, fans, they love the club forever. If you're an owner, you mind you mind it for a bit. Well, that's that's basically what it is. They've not got much of a connection to the club. It's simply a business for them, whereas for the fans, it's the way of life. I mean, the Glazers don't care about Manchester United. The fans do, and I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. Yeah, it's that's what it's all about. You know, the fans of any club is that is the heartbeat, and and that's what it's all about. The fans love the club, and they, they want it to be the best it can be, and hopefully, it will be in a few years' time after it's all finished. Big thanks for tuning in to this week's Sports Zone. I'm Rob Parkson, and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat.